0: Now, podcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world, world. it's the Sins Nation podcast. From praising Alfie to Brady Kachuk and everything in
1: between. If it matters to Sins fans, we're talking about it right here. And now, here's Steve Warren.
0: Thank you Bobby Big Voice coming up this week on the show Sunday April 12th is the 20th anniversary of the start of the Battle of Ontario Sean Van Allen played in that series for Ottawa he'll join us to talk about it as we record this today should have been the day of the NHL draft lottery such a big day for Sens fans so we bought a new draft lottery simulator which I now plan to burn you'll find out why in our top five today, we examine the Sens' top five first-round draft picks of all time and so much more coming up on the show. Let's say hello to our good pal, Greg Kennedy. How you doing, Greg? I'm good, Stevie. How are you? I'm very good. How's the health after last week?
2: I am fine. My thumb is, uh, is coming back slowly but surely. I have movement. And actually, Stevie, before I forget, apparently last week I said as long as I have my TV and my books, I'm okay. There was a a certain friend of mine who was upset to hear that line, and I owe her an apology because you know I don't I do need a little more than just my books and my TV.
0: Oh right, right yeah, in the doghouse yeah, for a day yeah. or two. Sorry, I wish I'd caught that. I might have edited that out for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. So you spent you did spend the week um, watching some uh, vintage NHL action. I understand.
2: Again, again, I'm really liking this this uh, between uh, Sportsnet and uh, TSN. They're all showing old sports footage and games. I watched the Tugger save, seventy save performance against the Boston Bruins from nineteen ninety something or other. I don't even remember now. Do you remember that game, Steve? Oh, of course. Yeah, Ken Neely called it the greatest goaltending performance he's ever seen. It was pretty impressive. Let me tell you, it was it was hilarious. Again, the same things, right? You, who else is playing? Like who's on the ice? Like. Like Guy Lafleur was playing for the Quebec Nordiques that night. It was his final game at the Boston Garden. I'm trying to remember what else I watched. I know I told you. Oh, I watched the 86 Masters, Steve. The final round from beginning to end. TSN carried it or might have been the Golf Channel. And my favorite all-time sporting event that I wish I would have seen live. Watching the Yes Sir! With the Nicholas uh, back nine of 30 to win win his sixth green jacket. That was pretty exciting too. Cool. Very cool. Let's get to our Sen's birthdays
0: today. Sens alumni. It's back. Yeah. Jim Pack is 53. He's kind of an interesting character in terms of the trivia side of things in that he is the very first Korean player to play in the NHL and certainly the first to win a Stanley Cup as he did with the Pittsburgh Penguins back in the early 90s. And now he's uh, running uh, South Korea's hockey program. He's their national team head coach as well. Um, You stop me if you want to chime in on any of these.
2: No, Brand- you're doing so. See, you're right. filling everybody in on their you know, details.
0: All right, good, good. Uh, Brandon Bachansky's 38 today, KHL star mostly.
2: Wasn't he going to be a stud, though?
0: <laughs> yeah, so they thought. So they thought. What were
2: the stats there in that one preseason, in that first season, the first week or two of the season that year? He was yeah, something, th-
0: wasn't he? I think he was like a point of game or something like that. I remember he had a hat trick either late in the preseason or early in the regular season. And there was some level of excitement about him. Clark MacArthur's 35. Uh, Brian Elliott's exactly the same age, 35 years of age. And, of course, uh, we recall that uh, he was traded one for one for Craig Anderson, which ends up being a great deal for the Sens based on the way the last decade has gone since that deal. But Elliott probably still has a few more miles left in his tank. It'll be kind of interesting to see what happens with Craig Anderson. One guy that's uh, lost in the mix when we talk about Senators that have been traded away, largely for contractual issues in, in most cases. Um, it's Zach Smith. Nobody really talks about him. And he was traded basically one for one to Chicago for Artem and He's 32 this week. And I wonder, is that a deal you would undo if you could?
2: Yeah, I think as a player, I'd rather have him. But let's face it, this wasn't a trade made to try to upgrade that position. I don't think they were expecting any big offensive numbers. It wasn't a trade made for that reason. There was some contractual stuff. There was some money stuff going on here that, that freed up some spot, some cash for them, uh, when it came to salary cap. And I think that that had a lot, lot to do with it more so that they weren't trying to upgrade a position player.
0: Don't you miss analyzing player trades, you know, player for player, like very much like we did in the schoolyard with hockey cards. Now if we were to do hockey cards. The same way you kind of analyze trades now in today's NHL, our hockey card discussion would be like, okay, I got a Zach Smith rookie here, Greg, and you got an Nisimov. Okay, we'll do that trade. But on top of that, I'm going to need your chocolate milk at lunchtime, and then after school, I'm going to need your bus money as well. I miss those days where we could just talk about analyzing a deal player for player, worth for worth.
2: Yeah, and it's become, it now has its own name, right? They now call it a hockey deal. Ooh, these two right. teams made a hockey deal when you actually make <laughs> a trade, But and right? The yeah. days are gone. Remember, oh, like I was reading, oh no, I saw something on YouTube where this guy does a breakdown of trades and he puts up everybody in the deal and works it all the way out and he was doing the Doug Gilmore to Toronto trade and the number of players involved, it was five for five, Stevie. That's never going to happen again, Right. Or the other one he was talking about was the Oilers trading Grant Fuhr and, and Glenn Anderson and to the Leafs and, like, real old-fashioned trade. I want to make my team better. I think this player's not quite as good. I think that player's probably got some more to him. Let's make this deal. And it just doesn't happen anymore.
0: One last birthday to tell you about, and he's the only active member of the Ottawa Senators who celebrated this week. That would be Rudolph's Balsers, 23 years of age this week. There's a guy that I think is going to be, he's an unpolished jewel, um, I think, in the Eric Carlson trade. I think he is going to be a diamond in the rough for this team moving forward. I think that guy's got a lot of skill. It just come down to whether or not he gets an opportunity with so many guys, so many peers that are going to be pushing for top six minutes moving forward. I don't know if he'll get the opportunity with so many uh, guys to be excited about in the pipeline. There's a bit of hockey news today. In that the Sens have uh, signed Calgary Hitman Center Mark Kastelik to a three-year entry-level contract. To look at him, you're like, okay, this is a guy who was, I think, a fifth-rounder, and he's one of those rare guys that went five years wire-to-wire with the same major junior franchise. You don't see that very often, do you?
2: No, and and um, a, a decent career out there, too. Played the dub with Calgary, as you said, Uh I, I'm thinking he's probably a, a goal scorer with some grit and toughness. He's six three, he's about 220 pounds. Last season we would let sorry two seasons ago now I guess 47 goals in 66 games. That's impressive, and 122 pims on top of it. As you and I were talking about this earlier, I thought maybe they see him as being some type of a goal scorer someday. You brought up the point that maybe he's the Chris Neal replacement.
0: At this stage of the game, I think he uh, he, he probably, size-wise, I think he's going to be a guy that will be an asset to this team moving forward potentially in the physical department. The guy can fight, the guy can skate, the guy can hit. And uh, he and Parker Kelly, who have had more than a few run-ins in the old fisticuffs department out in the Western Hockey League, uh, they have a good shot of being really, really good forward liners for the Sens someday
2: and kastelik's got some genes and you've got a story that you're going to share with us well his grandfather
0: is who i want to tackle i know ed kastelik who's also played in the nhl I think with hartford is that right
2: yeah and washington too i think
0: so yeah his dad uh obviously played in the nhl so the bloodlines are good but what i didn't know and it took me on a very almost bizarre search here and that I, i realized that his grandfather is pat whitey stapleton who played no. for team canada at the 1972 summit series against the uh against the soviets and i was like that's amazing and so i went and sort of in the in the process of double checking that fact i learned that pat stapleton died today no yeah isn't that i mean today? talk about a Talk about a crazy, bittersweet day for the kid. Mark Kastelik signs his first NHL contract and the excitement that must go with that. And then learning, you know, in the same 24-hour period that your granddad died. Pat Stapleton passed away today.
2: What a shame. Totally. He's got the puck. Did you know that? That's what I hear. I didn't know if that was a myth or, or a fact. He always got cheeky whenever anybody asked him the question. But uh, there's actually footage of him picking it up. But he's always been cheeky about whether he still has it or what he did with it. But maybe now we'll find out. And if I'm not mistaken, there's already been a Stapleton. I thought it was his grandson, but maybe it's not. It was another Stapleton who played in the show. I think he might have even played in Chicago, who was a relative of Whitey Staple.
0: In any event, he was uh, obviously a big part of that team and I, I i've not seen anything about cause of death or whether COVID had any any factor in there but uh yeah we lose another one from the 72 summit series Jeez, and, I didn't uh, even know that. fascinating that yeah yeah i mean it's just i was blown away when i was doing a little research but uh yeah castla comes out of arizona like austin matthews did and uh i think he again i think he can be that kind of fourth liner type and potential just from what i've read about the guy i haven't seen a ton about him Uh, doesn't seem like blessed with tremendous skill but everything else there's lots to like about him good size good skater and uh doesn't mind being physical and doesn't mind dropping him if you look through youtube you'll see lots of mark kastelik fights um moving on to something else today as we record this was supposed to be the day of the nhl draft lottery this should have been a big day for the ottawa senators and their fan base Uh, but as we know it's been postponed The good news is the draft lottery simulator has not been postponed. (laughs) Why don't we both do one? Yeah, sure. Just spin that wheel or whatever the hell we're doing. or starting the balls or something like that. Go. So exciting. Come on, one. Okay, and I've got the worst possible outcome. This is the only (laughs) time I've done it, and Ottawa's going to pick fifth and sixth. That's the worst they can do. New Jersey's at number one, followed by Anaheim, Buffalo, and Detroit. Ottawa drops three places. San Jose drops three places with Ottawa's other pick. That sucks.
2: Who did you get at first, sorry? Jersey. Jersey. Okay, hang on a second here. I just clicked it. And...
0: It's a hell of a simulator, by the way. No expense spared here on the show.
2: And... Florida. Florida. Florida, L.A., Arizona, Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose. What? Come on, <laughs> man, that sucks. That's hilarious. We both we both got them at five and six.
0: That would be brutal. I mean, it's it's been a Black Cloud franchise for two years now. Let's be honest. Uh, I <laughs> it's mean, just one more talk, thing. Yeah, we talked about the COVID last week, right? It just Colorado's the only other team that's dealt with it. Ottawa had what five, six, seven guys. Anyway, on the black cloud front, uh, we've been, you know, we've been obviously more concerned with uh, bigger issues than hockey and the Ottawa Senators, but throughout all this, the Sens will be still trying to operate a business, and you can always sell hope, I suppose, at the end of the day, but you wanted to explore the question, how exactly are the Sens going to sell season tickets amid what's happening to everybody with COVID and thrown into the, the mix, the whole, you know, the team hasn't been winning lately. And the initial thing that a lot of people were concerned about, and that was behavior of ownership. How will the send the season tickets here in the next little while?
2: Yeah. I, like I've been thinking about that because I have a, a, a friend, I know someone who works there in their sales department and I'm just wondering how the heck are they doing it? Like, Let's face it, the the what we now call a junk email it now gets treated like a standard telemarketing call. You ju- you don't even open them, so I, like you can't be sending out emails hoping that somebody's going to reply to you. Just as just as you can't be making phone calls hoping you're going to get to talk to someone. It must be very difficult for those people to to make a living right now. Completely,
0: and that's true of so many businesses. End of the day, NHL is business. And uh, everybody's at this stage. Not so. How uncertain does everybody feel? Not just businesses, but you know, workers, people who go to work nine to five. Oh yeah. Even if they've still got their job, and they've been, I think the employ, unemployment rate. We lost about a million jobs here in the last couple of weeks. Um, everybody's uncertain, wondering how long this is going to last exactly. It's going to be hard for people to prioritize and include NHL tickets in all of that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's not just the fact that we can't be out knocking on doors and talking to people right now, but then you put on top of that, those people that you want to talk to aren't exactly sitting around with lots of money looking to spend it, even when they come back and then you all the excitement of them coming back and you, you think you could get a kick and some sales then in the, you know, the first two weeks before whatever starts up again, whatever form it may be, um, you're not going to get those people rushing to buy tickets either because they don't have any money.
0: How important is this lottery? When you think about it, we were just joking around with it with the simulator, but this is, you know, it's not even close. Um, How this is the most important lottery in Ottawa Senators' history. They, you know, it might be another hundred years before we see a lottery this
2: important to an organization. Agreed, agreed. It's the, it's not just the lottery. The entire draft. What, uh, what the Senators do with all these picks uh, this year? The first, the seconds. What they do in this year's draft is going to set them up for 10 to 15 years. This is the singular most important draft. I would argue it's even more important than the first draft back in uh, 90... Was the draft in 92 or was the draft in 93 anyway?
0: It was Yashin anyway. It was 91 or 92. would have been 92. dig was in 93.
2: Yeah, 92. This is more important than that 92 draft because really... Uh, yeah, okay, you, you couldn't... You, you could almost say I can't screw this one up. You got the first pick overall. You're going to get somebody who, unless he turns out to be a jerk, is going to stick around for a long time. <coughs> um, so this one is more important because you are it's moving forward. It's getting people back. It's been everything that's gone on for the last two, three years. This is fixing things and moving in the right direction. This draft is way more important than that original first NHL draft.
0: For everything you just said there, they so need Alexi Lafreniere specifically. <laughs> like he would be okay, well, he would be not okay. just a, an, obviously an asset as far as helping them win a Stanley Cup someday, but just the asset that they need right now. He would be the greatest marketing plan that they could ever come up with.
2: Okay, but they also once had a Francophone hockey player who was drafted high, who they thought was going to be that guy too. I bet they sold a lot of tickets that year though. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean that to put summer. a damper on things. You're right. He, he is going to sell tickets for sure. Yeah. You've got a francophone coming in here. It's going to sell tickets. That will help them with their, with their sales. Because let's face it, they they they're going to need to uh, to get attendance up. If 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 we want to be able to pay all these guys down the road, you need
0: butts in the seats. Sends up three first rounders as mentioned this year and uh, today on the program, in this uh, special little feature we dissect the best five Sens first-rounders of all time. We begin at number five, Nick Fellino in 2006 at 28th overall. Watch, here's Fellino! walks in, Fellino scores! The Sens drafted Mike Fellino's son, 28th overall that year, and of the next 15 picks that would follow Foligno's selection, the best two players turned out to be goalie Michael Neuvert and former Ottawa 67-4 Jamie McGinn. And you probably wouldn't even recognize anyone else in that group. But the sense of the wisdom to grab Foligno, who's now played 908 NHL games, currently captain in Columbus. Number four, Thomas Shabbat in 2015. Takes it away, Shabbat's good. The 2015 draft was one of the most talent-laden we've ever seen and there was still plenty of meat on the bone when the Sens snapped up Shabbat at 18th overall. The Sens could have nabbed the likes of Brock Besser, Travis Konechny, Anthony Beauvillier but there were still also a number of duds in there as well and even stacked up against an elite group like that, Shabbat was an outstanding choice at 18. In almost any other draft you'd be thrilled to get a player like Shabbat with a top 3 pick. Number 3 in 1999, Marty Havlat. Havlat takes the pass, Havlat is in,
2: all alone he shoots and scores.
1: Havlat scores on the breakaway. At
0: An absolute steal at 26th overall in 99. Among the first rounders that year, only the Sedin twins have scored more than Havlat. In fact, no other first rounder even came close. Labeled Mach 9, Havlat's speed and skill made him a fan favorite in Ottawa. Number two, at 12th overall in 97, Marion Hosa Into the middle, Hossa with a blast, he scores! Marion Hosa Later this year, Hossa is likely to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He helped three different teams reach the cup final. Sen saw his potential, thrilled to grab him at 12th overall in 97. And if you're redrafted today, knowing what we know now, HOSA might be your number one overall selection. Only Joe Thornton, the actual number one that year, is in the discussion. And number one, 15th overall in 2008,
2: Eric Carlson. Carlson,
0: Another case of the Sens having a pick in the mid-teens, coming away with a talent that's better than almost all of his peers in his draft year. We all know what an electric player he was, 2017 on one good foot will be remembered by Sens fans forever. It might not have happened though, if GM Brian Murray hadn't done some draft day stick handling that Carlson himself would have been proud of. Sens actually owned the 18th pick, traded it to Nashville the third rounder, and they moved up three spots to secure the greatest defenseman in their history. So there it is. The top five first-round draft picks in Sen's history. Hey, that was fun. That's a nice exercise. I enjoyed doing that. Okay, so let's uh, let's look ahead. Sunday, this Sunday is the 20th anniversary isn't buggy. This should this should be the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs this week. That's annoying that they're not going to have the <laughs> NHL playoffs to watch. It's also Masters week. Oh, God. What a, what a week we're missing here.
2: Not only would this be the start of the NHL playoffs, I've always believed that April is the best sports month on your calendar. You have the end of March Madness, where the Final Four, the final game, or at least the probably the, the two semis in the final are usually played in April. The first week in April is, of course, the Masters. Baseball season starts, and the Stanley Cup playoffs start. And NBA playoffs start a little later on in the month of April. April is the best sports month on the calendar every year, bar none, and we're missing it.
0: Yep, yeah. April, October. Those are two beauties for sure, but April is my winner as well. Anyway, Sunday is the 20th anniversary of Game 1 in the very first Battle of Ontario. What memories do you have of not necessarily that particular series, but just of the whole Battle of Ontario, which is so badly faded now?
2: Yeah, I had to go back and think about this, and I—I I admit I was—I couldn't remember exactly which which year was which, right? Uh, and ironically, I watched Game Three of the 01 series, which was the uh, the Corey Cross OT winner. Remember that one? Yes. Oh, like like I remember specific little things. I don't remember entire series. I don't remember entire games, but I do have specific memories like like the Joe Neuendijk 2-5-hole goals. I remember that Corey Cross goal. We all remember the Alfie on Tucker hit. But as to which one was which year and what series they were, you know, I, I, I don't remember exactly, just because the overall memory is we lost again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like a great action movie, right, with a terrible, terrible ending. You get all the action and the car chases, yeah, but the ending is terrible in all cases. Uh, but it certainly captured everybody's attention here in Ottawa and in Toronto back in the early 2000s. And again, Sunday is the 20th anniversary of the start of the Battle of Ontario. It was game number one. Um, and one guy who was part of that Ottawa Senators team is Sean Van Allen, OUA Coach of the Year, by the way, in University Hockey. And uh, Vanner joins us now. First, uh, let's talk about how you, Colleen, and the kids are doing during this whole COVID mess, Vanner.
1: Uh, we're doing okay. Um, you know, for the most part, we're in the house. Uh, if we do go out, it's just pretty much to go through a drive through for, for Aaron or for the girls to get them something to drink or just change it up. And then we're pretty much back home. So, uh, we're quite familiar with each other and, um, you know, it's a crazy time. So, uh, we're only hoping it's going to get better.
0: You and I and we talked about this uh, off the air a little bit. We have the autism thing in common. I was thinking about it. Like like it goes back several years. I remember the time you and I were both at Cheo waiting for our sons to kind of be put under just so they could have something as simple as their teeth to get cleaned. Um so how is Aaron doing with what I imagine's uh, a pretty dramatic change in a routine?
1: Well, we tried to yesterday was his 26th birthday. Um, so we'd ordered a few things in, uh, got him some puzzles, CDs and movies. And, uh, we tried to make the day as special as possible for him. His, his old teachers, aide, they, uh, talked and, um, they'd shared a cake the same, same as Aaron would share a cake. They typically come over here, uh, but they just could see each other on the computer. So, um, we, we did the best we can. And I think he had a real good day, actually a real great day. And it was I was really glad to see a smile on his face.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Wish him happy birthday for me. I will. Uh, congrats are in order as well, along with uh, a birthday in the Van Allen household. But uh, last month, uh, you as the third-year head coach of the Carlton Ravens men's hockey team, you were named the OUA Coach of the Year. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and the kind of season that you and the team had.
1: Well, Steve, I look at that as a, as a team award. Um, there's no coach around that that wins that award that doesn't have a real good team and a real good, uh, staff and, and, uh, you know, Mark and Joey and I, we work hand in hand and we discuss everything. And, um, you know, we consider ourselves to be our own team. And then there's the other, you know, there's the players. And then when we combine those, we kind of look at like, we kind of have three teams bringing it together. So, um, you know, we were really happy with the regular season. Um, you know, we had a few bumps and bruises along the road, but for the most part, we stayed healthy, which, you know, when you're playing a short season, that's, that's really important. Um, and we're really proud of the guys. They, they worked really hard. They bought into what we were, what we were telling them, and uh, it led to a, a fantastic regular season.
0: We're joined by former Ottawa Senator Sean Van Allen. And, Vander. this Saturday is the 20th anniversary of the start of the Battle of Ontario. There were four of them in the early 2000s. This was game one of the very first series you were a member of that club. Unfortunately, the Sens would lose that series in six. And I wonder, out of the gate, um, do you think much about those days?
1: Um, a little bit now because, uh, you know, the NHL Classics have been on. And uh, I haven't seen any. I don't think they've played that series yet, uh, Steve. But I know they've played uh, a couple of the other series. And um, I know the 4 one I saw, Game 7. Uh, was it '01 one or '02? 2 maybe that? uh i was not part of those teams but i think they've played that a couple times too so um yeah it's it, you think back on it now a little bit when you know bring it up and it's hard to believe it was 20 years ago uh, but as usual like the city came alive it's you know the battle of ontario uh you know i don't think i would say it lived up to its name just in our opinion, the wrong team won all the time. (laughs)
0: That's right. Uh, What was the emotion like going into the thing? Because uh, I remember how pumped I was because I just started in sports radio and I was excited about it. Um, I'm wondering what it was like as a player. Was that hatred and that fierce emotion, was that there out of the gate or did that kind of evolve as it went?
1: Uh, Generally, it takes time for that to evolve, but uh, I – I would say when you're playing Toronto, you recognize it like right from the puck drop in game one. Uh, and I I want to say, I think we started off the playoffs on a bad note because I think Wade Redden got hurt the last regular season game. Um, and I don't think he played in that year in the playoffs, hmm. if, if I'm correct. And uh, so, you know, you take your arguably your best defenseman out of the lineup um, – with the last game and now you're starting to plus, you know, you gotta be mentally strong, but it's still, uh, it's just a fact, you, you know, you take your best, any team takes their best defenseman out. Uh, you're not going to be as good, but you know, it's another opportunity as coaches always say for someone to step up. Uh, I believe we went into Toronto, uh, lost the first two games in the series. Um, then we came home obviously for games three and four and, I remember Jock started our line in both those games, three and four. Uh, I played with Andre Waugh and Colin Forbes, and I'll never forget how jacked up Andre Waugh was. Like, <laughs> I wanted to go hit guys, but I was like, I just stayed back and watched him and, and Forbes, you go in, and like, Andre was a runaway train, and uh, oh my, we were so jacked up to, that Jock trusted us to, to start the game, and I think he wanted to get the fans involved. And, like, Andre, unfortunately, and did a real good job of going in there, getting the puck deep. And uh, I, I believe we won the next two games at home. I think there were, I want to say, probably one-goal games. And then I know we went to Toronto. Uh, and I believe uh, Jock, as being as superstitious as he was, started us again. Uh, and I think we lost that one in overtime. Uh, I want to say, Steve, thomas might have scored that Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was you know that was a big turning point i think we played really well in that game and uh kind of the same thing we couldn't get one past enough past cujo to win that game
0: in your net it was tom barrasso right he came he came came in at the deadline that year um what did you think about tom barrasso because he had sort of a reputation and I sort of experienced it personally, uh, but he said kind of had a, a bit of a reputation for being prickly with the media. Uh, I think that's fair to say. But what was he like as a teammate?
1: Well, there was him and then an empty stall and then me. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, I, we'd heard the same stuff. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's hard to relate now because uh, the social media and all that wasn't even close you know what I mean, I don't know, and so heard rumors of how, you know, he could be a little bit difficult, uh, he did not like to be shot at high, um, I remember that first practice, Steve, where uh, you know, guys are coming in, they're not really even getting the puck off the ice, um, you know, and w- we were treading lightly, we've never had a player uh, of his caliber really come to our team, and he'd won Stanley Cups, and um, you know, he was an American coming to a Canadian team. So we didn't know how. And not only that, we traded two rock-solid guys in our dressing room. Uh, my other neighbor, Yanni Laukinen and then across from me, Ron Tugnet. Uh They were big parts of our team. And uh, so we knew we were getting a good goalie, but we also knew we were losing two real solid citizens. Um, and so anyway, uh, Tommy comes in. uh you know, it, it's tough, I think, when you get traded from a team that you've won for and then you come in here. Uh, I, I honestly think it takes a while for that guy to, to, to fit in. Um, kind of like, you could kind of tell he had way more money than any of us. <laughs> uh, you know, from the way he carried us, could carry himself, to the way he dressed. Um, you, you just knew he was a different person. Then, not saying he wasn't a nice person and, and all that, You just he was just different and... Uh, he'd seen a lot better days probably than we had, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, it was, he was, he was a little bit different.
0: Agreed. Yeah. He's the only NHL player in my years of covering the league to tell me to F off when I simply asked him if I could have a couple of comments. So I wasn't a big fan, but I was curious to hear your take on Tom Barrasso as a teammate and another guy that was kind of a quirky sort, Alexi Yashin. He actually sat out that season how did that go over with uh, with the guys in the room? Like, he's the captain at that point. Daniel Offertson would be your captain in the season we're talking about, but Yashin sits out the whole season. How did that play with the guys in the room to have the captain holding out like that?
1: Well, if I can remember back then, and he still had a contract. So, you know, most hockey players, like, if you sign the contract, you kind of, you know, you got to play that contract out. So we kind of used it as a, as a gelling thing, and, and like, Yash, I would say, is, was the most talented player we had. He could really shoot the puck. He great size, you know, real, real strong offensive player. Um, who up until that point, I don't think it had a strong class. I know Mike Becca, the one year, earned a reputation by by shutting him down, but that did not take away how talented Yash was. And and you know, when you have him in your lineup uh, for a team that. You know, I think we finished that year maybe around tenth in the league in, in scoring goals. He would only help to score more goals, but I think we just kind of bought in. I think we played our system a little bit better, which led to probably creating more turnovers for our team. And uh, you know, we we tried our best to move on. And Alfie was a great leader. Um, you know, his work ethic alone, just day in and day out, setting the tone for us. Um, you know, really helped us you know I think when you start the playoffs I think Yash not to be rude but was a distant memory because we hadn't had him all year and our focus was on trying to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs
0: in the meantime your leader on the bench was of course Jacques Martin and I wonder what was Jacques Martin like to play for in a playoff series like that Um,
1: well Pat Quinn got all the headlines as as Pat Quinn was you know had, had some pretty good lines and I think he did a real good job of taking anything away from the team or not taking any away from the team but focusing it on him. Um, Jock was different. Jock is not that outgoing personality, uh, but he's a really good hockey coach and he's a real good person. Um, you know, and, and he he has a burning desire to win too. But he's you know, he's always in control and uh you know he's he he calculates what he's going to do. Like I said, I think he was a real good coach. Um you know, I think Pat Quinn gets the headlines because he won, but I still I still think Jock was an excellent coach and you know for a guy that has been in the NHL for as long as Jock has, he's proven it year after year.
0: So that series did not go particularly well again you guys fall in uh, in game 6 as you mentioned earlier. Uh, Leafs win the first two, you win the next two, and then the Leafs won the last two. Um, Overall takeaway from the series, did you feel like that was a series that was winnable and that just you you mentioned earlier about, you know, just not being able to get anything past Curtis Joseph? Did you feel like you could have won that series in hindsight? Uh,
1: Looking back in 20 years, I I think, yeah, because, um, you know, they They win the first two games. we come home and win the next two games now you 're talking best of the three here. We feel like we 've got the momentum going into game five. Um, I think we all play them in game five, except I think we lose two one in overtime. I think it could have gone either way um, and that's that 's how sports is. You know what I mean like you look back and uh you know like one bounce here or one referee's call or one referee's non call um and then the other thing is you know and you know it's not sour grapes but we put wade redden in that lineup we're a we're a better team too um so you know he didn't play so there's nothing he can do about it but um you know there's just little things like that and um the game is called differently um like i know when i look back and with some of, uh, some of the guys that I coach, and they, they'll see a game compared to what they see now. And they're blown away by how much stick work there was. And, you know, we were a fairly talented team. So um, the more skilled guys, you kind of need to have a little bit more room. But with, with the sticking and stuff like that, but anyway, that's how it was. You know what I mean? And it's, yep. it's still a disappointment to me that we didn't beat them.
0: And who knows what what history, you know, maybe you get the bounce here or there and you win that series and maybe there's not that thing moving forward. I, I know that you um, you were off to Dallas and Montreal, and then you came back, I think, for one more Battle of Ontario. But I wonder about if you win that series, then maybe there's a whole different headspace for the core guys who remain for the other battles of Ontario that would follow., uh, maybe that changes things around. or do you do you feel differently? Like does that does that carry over from one season to the next? Like, is the, um, is the team next year, do they even think about this series?
1: I I really don't think you really think about it because you're so caught up in the moment. And I think if you're thinking about something else other than focusing on what's right in front of you, uh, I think your head is probably in the wrong, sp- wrong spot. Because I look back and, and for some reason we handled Philadelphia quite easily. Uh, and they've always had the history of being the big bad Flyers and a big tough team, and um, but Toronto couldn't beat them. And you know, I, I hear it from the Toronto fans and stuff like that. Well, you couldn't beat uh, uh, you couldn't beat us, and they are right. There's nothing you can say that, but they couldn't beat Philadelphia, and it still didn't lead to them winning Stanley Cups. Um, that, that's the hard part. I know one year when Toronto played. Uh, Ottawa. I was in Montreal, and we had upset Boston in the first round, and then we lost to Carolina. But we were we were set to play Toronto. We were up, uh, I want to say, was it two one in that series? And then we were playing game four at home, and we lost that game in overtime with, with a three nothing lead going into the third period. But you know, I was thinking, like, how would CBC have loved a Toronto Montreal series back then? But uh, kind of off-topic there a little bit, Steve, but it's kind of funny how we mm-hmm. couldn't beat Toronto and, and Toronto couldn't beat Philadelphia.
0: No question. Sean Van Allen joining us, and I want to maybe fast-forward to today now with everything that's gone on here. We've got, as we record this right now, Gary Bettman is talking in terms of maybe, you know, he's, he's acknowledging, okay, maybe the regular season's not going to happen. Who knows? The, the whole thing might be wiped out, which is actually what I'm expecting, but we'll see. Um, What's the effect moving forward on, on this thing? Like, what would you say uh, you think needs to happen right now? Would you like to see them get the Stanley Cup in here or maybe just, you know what, call it a day and, and, and start fresh in the fall?
1: Uh, selfishly, Steve, selfishly, I would like them to play hockey as long as everything, you know, everyone can stay safe and, you know, no one's going to get real sick from this. That That's selfishly. Um I just worry the longer it goes, no one's skating. Um, you know, would they have, like, how long of a mini training camp are you talking? Are you talking a week or whatever? Because when training camps are on now, the guys have been skating all summer. They're ready to go. That's why you only practice a couple days you're playing exhibition. This, by them not skating, uh, you know, I could. it would be really tough on the guys. I think it would be unfortunate if they don't play for the Stanley Cup this year, and I think the other thing that you know we haven't talked about is almighty dollar. There's a lot of money that's going to be lost, uh, and it's going to affect uh, all of professional sports. But selfishly, as just a as fan, if you could guarantee everyone's going to be safe, and I would love to watch NHL playoffs, but I don't. I don't really think, like you, it's going to happen.
0: Right. One last one, then Vanner. Um... I know the Ravens are your primary focus throughout the winter, but I know you get a chance to keep an eye on the Sens as well. Uh, Do you feel like they're on the right path at this stage of the game? And certainly at the draft, they're certainly set up for success with all the picks they have.
1: Well, and I think one thing they really need to do is they need to get lucky in the draft Um, and lucky by the lottery. Um, You know, you look at, Pittsburgh Penguins, Steve, I think they were close to being sold to Kansas City. They win the lottery and they get Sidney Crosby, turns them around. And then I think they get Malcolm the next year. You look at Edmonton getting Connor McDavid. like that. Those kind of moves uplift a, a franchise and a city. Um, so, you know, they somehow get the first pick. Or how about even the first and second pick? All of a sudden now you're getting two real solid guys. They should get two real solid guys anyway uh, as long as they're not – Terribly unlucky, and then they, you know, they've got some good young prospects moving in the right direction. Uh, you add a couple more; it doesn't take long to turn this thing around.
0: Sean Van Allen joining us here on the Sens Nation podcast. Van, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, we'll let you get back to the family, and uh, congratulations uh, on on the award last month. That was great.
1: Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure talking to you. All
0: right. So there's Sens forward, former Sens forward, Sean Van Allen, again reigning OUA Coach of the Year. Uh, joining us here on the Sens Nation podcast. Good to catch up with Vanner. To close it out today, Coach Greg, Gary Bettman hinting that the NHL regular season, um, which is all that's left for the Sens now, maybe, maybe toast, may have to be scrapped. But uh, there's also this idea they've got of a centralized playoffs that would all be held in one area, would all be held in North Dakota, of all places. Just like Major League Baseball, starting in May, they're they're looking at the idea of just shipping in every single Major League Baseball team and playing at various parks in Arizona and Arizona only. So what do you think of the idea of the NHL going to a centralized playoffs?
2: It's not going to happen in North Dakota. Okay. <laughs> that would be my first thought. Um, I can see the playoffs going to... Uh, Hey, we just talked about March Madness, same sort of thing. Maybe four places and you send uh, four teams there or eight teams there. And I guess it would be four, four areas where there's four teams. Hockey's different from other sports as far as what's required for these teams to come into that city and play. You need more than one rink. You need practice facilities. You need training facilities. You need hotel rooms. Well, you need hotel rooms for everybody. Uh, no matter no matter the league, but I just think there's too many other things involved for it to be North Dakota. It's got to be a place that's got one or two, at least two rinks that you could play games in. The capacity doesn't matter, of course, because you're not going to have fans there most likely. But they need to be decent size uh, arenas with a with a proper ice surface in them, and they have to be big enough to accommodate four teams with dressing rooms, with video rooms, with coaches' offices, with training facilities so that the four teams can be separate from each other within that building.
0: I am a torn hockey fan on this idea because the fan in me is uh, bordering on aroused by the idea of actually having Stanley Cup playoffs. (laughs) Um, So I'd love it, selfishly. That said, um, with what's going on in the world, I don't know that it's a good idea. Yes, you could probably pull this off with the thumbs up from the world health organization and and safely pull this off but at the same time i also think that kind of resuming normalcy the way the way they are here if they do it it just maybe sends a bad message that could lull people into this false sense of security it's like oh well the nhl is carrying on nearly business as usual so i think that it might put the idea in some people's minds that it's just okay to get back to normal somewhat when it's really not.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's not a bad point. I read an article this week where uh, an unnamed television executive basically said that same sort of thought about, well, if if we're going to come back, then everything should be back, including fans in buildings, or else we shouldn't bother. And I guess there's a, there's a side to that that makes sense. Um, the other side of it is people are stuck in their homes showing them some NHL hockey on TV – might be a good thing right from a from a morale standpoint amongst your population and, it, and it's no big deal to film it it would even be better steve there'd be no netting you could remove the netting the sound would be different you could hear things from the ice that you don't normally hear tv guys could even work some different things into their broadcasts from a from a technical standpoint that we're not used to seeing from that standpoint as far as raising morale it might be a good idea
0: how long do you think this whole thing is going to go on as we've kind of come to a close here in the end of the show? Like this whole sequestering the entire planet, stay in your house, stay in your house, stay the F home, stay the F home. How long can you keep doing this and not, you know, run the planet into financial ruin?
2: Yeah, scary, huh? I, 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 we talk about it every week, don't we? And really, uh, I know the numbers have kind of sort of maybe leveled off. I know that the Spain and Italy numbers have, have dropped as far as cases per day and even, dare I say it, deaths per day. The numbers have dropped there. But it's not like those numbers are dropping because we've come up with a cure. Numbers are dropping because more and more people are being vigilant about uh, social and physical distancing. So it's really, there is no end in sight until some doctor, some medical team comes forward with something. I mean, even if it's just, hey, we've got something we'd like to test. You know, you've got to come up with something like that before we can start talking about when we might be back to normal.
0: Right. And with that, we shall call it a day here in episode number seven of the SENS Nation podcast. Uh, Any final thoughts for this week?
2: (laughs) We close on a low. What do we have to close on a downer? Well, I wanted
0: to give you a chance to sort of buck us up a little bit with your final thoughts. (laughs) Sunshine, lollipops,
2: and rainbows. Here's my final thought. I'm so happy that Sen's birthdays are back. Thank you.
0: (laughs) There you go. Now, that's a positive way to end the program. Before we go today, if you want to get in touch or learn more about us, we're at com. The site's coming along. Uh, All our contact info is there, including email, Twitter, and Facebook. You can record a Sens take on the Sens Nation hotline that we might play back in a future show. You can listen to past episodes. If you want to help support the Sens Nation podcast, here's how you can do it. A simple share or a nice review of the show is absolutely huge to help build the audience. Our Sens Nation Patreon membership page is now 100% active. Being new, we're also wide open to advertising discussion right now as well. If you have a business you'd like to get in front of Sens fans, then give us a hauler as well. So, Everything you need can all be found at SensNationPodcast.com. Thanks for being with us. Senators missed the playoffs. I don't know where they went. I'm going to call the post game. I'm going to have to vent. Eleven years in the playoffs. That's what the paper said. So better not blow the team up. Block yourself instead. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na I wanna fight the Leafs Na-na-na-na-na-na We're all gonna fight the Leafs! Yeah, so what? I'm still a Sens fan I got my Sens toque